And as an aside, I'm pretty certain that if I had a quote-unquote clicky keyboard, you would kill me. Because you'd just hear... Hi, and welcome to the Brewery FM podcast, hosted by Scott Hogue and Dan Usher. Just two techies separated by a giant ocean talking cloud, wombats, and technology. I'm Scott Hogue, and this is episode 14, recorded on May 6, 2015. I know how to count. So wait, are you telling me that you're counting the number of processor cores you're going to need for SharePoint 2016? Oh, come on. That's all still the same. Really? Yeah, really. You didn't see that? Uh, I'll be honest. I haven't been watching Twitter quite as much as I had uh, on Monday. Um, And I guess today is Wednesday for me, Thursday for you. But yeah, my my Twitter watching... um, kind of reminds me of some organizations and how they run Yammer and they just don't tell people not to put things in the all company feed. So it's just kind of like a, a river of, you know, updates continuously flowing by. Um, I don't know. There might be some cool stuff that's come out at Ignite this week out in Chicago, but uh, neither you nor I are there. So it's all secondhand information and lots and lots of videos to consume, right? Second hand. Mm, it's videos, right? Uh, they've been very, 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 very quick about releasing everything. So if folks wanted to consume the keynote or individual breakout sessions, uh, those are usually available within 24 hours. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I can, I can attest to that. Uh, I am still in the process of watching uh, my little Intel NUC go through. Um, somebody wrote a script to harvest all the stuff off of Channel 9. Uh, so I'm waiting for all that to get digested and pulled down. And, you know, I, I have slightly faster internet than you do at this point. So I'm expecting to see all of the videos uh, pulled down eh, maybe by July. Um, but no. Do you want a pro tip? What's that? Do you have a podcatcher that plays video podcasts? Like something on the desktop, like Instacast or Downcast? Or um, do you just have a regular web browser that pulls an RSS feed? Uh, You know, I do have a web browser. Tell me more. Uh, So Channel 9, they publish RSS feeds for every event from Ignite to Build to everything else. And you can choose specific feeds based on the quality of the video that you'd like to pull down. So typically what I do is subscribe to the MP4 High, or otherwise known as the High Definition or HD feed. And I toss that into my podcatcher of choice. And then as those RSS feeds are updated, voila, those files automatically show up in your RSS reader or podcatcher. And then you can watch them at your leisure with notes and everything else that needs to come down with it. And you don't need to use any fancy scripts or anything else. So, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of everybody over-engineering and overthinking everything. Uh, but the Channel 9 team's already published all that stuff out there for us. So, uh, you know, in the past, I used to go out and download those things uh, just like you are. Uh, but today, I, I just set up my iPad and say, hey... Uh, go watch this feed for me, and I get a nice little notification as soon as something new pops up in there. And I go, mm, I want to watch that one, or I don't want to watch that one. 
So while that is definitely a, a nice way to do it, I guess the other caveat is, uh, at least in my case, um, going through and having the script recursively go through, pull all the stuff down in the HD format as well as the slides. Um, that way, uh, you know, if somebody says, hey, I'm really interested in seeing XYZ session, uh, they don't have to go out and try and find it themselves. I can just throw it out to them uh, through Dropbox or some other means like that because there's no way I'm going to fill up my one terabyte Dropbox now, is there? Uh, you could do it. I mean, you can store unlimited terabytes in your OneDrive for business. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, so the Ignite stuff, it's pretty cool to see them getting the content out there fairly rapidly. Um, I don't know when I'm actually going to have a chance to digest all the content, um, but at least, you know, it is there. And it's not, uh, it's not like years past where basically you had like a slide deck with a voiceover. It's a uh, slide deck with a little, Anna, little you know, uh, box on the side where you can see the individuals presenting on stage um, and hear their voices directly through, uh, you know, this session as well. So it's a little bit, a little more interactive, um, as though you were sitting in the very, very back of an auditorium uh, watching these sessions. Well, that actually depends on the session too. So some of oh, them really? are, yeah, some of, like if you watch. Uh, what, what is it? I watched uh, the evolution of SharePoint overview and roadmap. So that was Bill Bear and Seth Patton. Uh, they did that on day one, I think, day one or day two, uh, whenever they did it. Uh, so that's pretty much just a view of somebody's computer screen with no speakers or anything like that. The, the keynotes and uh, surprisingly, a lot of the uh, developer-based sessions seem to uh, have the speakers recorded on there. Um, you know, you mentioned grabbing the slides and the videos. Uh, I'm I'm finding that for a lot of the sessions, the slides don't make any sense without the context of the video. Uh, so in that case, they're almost kind of useless, uh, which is actually a good thing, right? Because there's really no point in having the session uh, if the slides could explain everything for us along the way. So I personally, I've been sticking to the videos and just kind of trying to take my own notes and things like that and uh, consume all the information that's out there. Um, and then the nice thing, you know, I really wish um, folks had been tagging their sessions on Twitter. You mentioned kind of having that big stream. So there's like a lot of uh, SharePoint uh, community people that I follow. And you could tell they were all in the same sessions at the same time. And there's this whole stream going on. Uh, but it was tough to go back and correlate that later with the session that they had been sitting in. And especially if they had been sitting in similar sessions, like there was a session on Office 365 groups going on while well, there were some Yammer sessions going on. And then there was a, an IT pro uh, for SharePoint Server 2016 going on. So all sorts of uh, streaming stuff coming down through through Twitter and Channel 9 and uh, every place else. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I highly recommend that folks find a way to go out and consume that information one way or the other. Uh, there are definitely lots of interesting tidbits in there. Uh, you had mentioned hardware requirements, so that's in uh, Bill Bear's What's New for IT Professionals in SharePoint Server 2016. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about some of that stuff that's come out in there because uh, they also had some overlap with their uh, roadmap show from the other day where they talked about uh, some of the new roles that are coming and uh, minimizing the installation footprint for SharePoint. Yep, uh, we can, we'll, we'll hop into that, but first... Uh... We're, what, nine minutes in, and we don't even have follow-up yet. 
Um, so, a little bit of follow-up from last week. Um, for those of you that are interested, uh, Microsoft has talked a little bit more about uh, certifications that are coming out. Um, I know for myself, I, I feel like I beat a drum every day about certifications and the value of them, but uh, a lot of folks are starting to actually see that you know they're a little bit tougher than what they used to be where potentially you could just go sit down and read through marketing materials and go pass an exam. Um, so I'm excited that they announced this week, uh, you know, with all the different things going on with Azure, um, they actually released the MCSD, so the Microsoft Certified Solutions Developer, I believe it is, um, for Microsoft Azure, and that's all three of the new Azure exams they released over the past six months. Um, so I don't know. I might I might actually be getting an MCSD here shortly, Scott. How do you feel about that? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the the Azure tests are hard. I I can say that much. Um, having kind of participated in the exam process for the five thirty three, um, I I would just say that the folks that have passed it, kudos to them. Uh, I actually, uh, because I participated a little bit in that process, I'm not allowed to take the test for a while, uh, which is kind of nice for me. Uh, kind of gives me an excuse to say uh, to my employer, mm, yeah, sorry guys, I can't take that one. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, if you can go out there and grab those, uh, they are very, very interesting. Uh, I would recommend that anybody who wants to take those tests should take them now. Uh, because the content changes so rapidly. Uh, those are still traditional kind of sit-down tests because they're, they're not into this new, um, you know, renewal phase where we can take a course on MVA and kind of keep a renewal thing going. Um, so because the content in Azure changes so rapidly, even just, uh, uh, you know, last week we had Build and this week we have Ignite. And between that, there were a bunch of new APIs that came out and that were released and surfaced. Um, even in something like the PowerShell SDK, we had uh, the 0 0.9 release and the 0.9.1 release uh, one week after the other. One was for build, one was for ignite, and it's this rapid iterating change. Uh, and those tests are a point in time kind of thing. Uh, so you, you've really got to get in there and take them now, uh, because if you wait six months, nine months, whatever it is, uh, and you hit it maybe just around the time of a refresh or something else, and it hasn't been published yet, you're really going to be working with outdated technology um, and the test is still going to be asking you pretty specific questions about some of that stuff to test your knowledge. So, uh, you know, get in there, do it today. Yeah, I know uh, you mentioned point in time. Uh, Michael Washam, uh, guy down at Upstility, former Microsoft guy, he released a book on 533. Um he also released, I guess, the O'Reilly book on Azure um, for IaaS, and a lot of the content in there, I would say, is great for folks that are, you know, looking to go take that exam. But like you said, the point in time piece. Um, somebody else actually released a book. Uh, I think it was about a week and a half ago on mastering Azure IaaS, and it was interesting because a lot of the stuff they talked about um, is some of the newer stuff that. Um, uh, you know, wasn't uh, wasn't fully baked until last week. So uh, they touch on some of the areas of like uh, the resource manager um, and how it was limited in capability and whatnot. And then last week we learned, boom, here's all this new stuff for Azure Resource Manager. Um, so it's you know interesting to see kind of that uh, 
that corpus of knowledge continue to grow. And what is somewhat terrifying to me, at least, is with all these different services going to the cloud, um, that probably applies to you know Office 365 as well. Those exams are going to become more and more arduous just in the fact that uh, the content and the system is changing so rapidly. Yeah, um, you know, it, it is really hard. Uh, it's hard on us as uh, consumers of the tests. I think it's hard for uh, companies like Microsoft and uh, anybody else who's helping out to author these things uh, to keep the content fresh uh, and keep the quality of it up, right? There, there's a pretty uh, interesting process that goes into the, the way kind of tests go through um, betas and then they're released to everybody else. I'm sure if anybody's gone to one of these big conferences like Ignite, or I know at SPC a couple of years ago, they did like the beta test for uh, SharePoint server, right? Um, and so everything kind of comes out, it goes through beta and then it gets released into the final version. And that takes a while because they need to get some telemetry and see what people are doing and everything else. So in this world of rapid change, um, really your best bet is get in there as soon as you can, if you feel confident enough to, uh, you know, feel like you're going to be able to sit down and take that test and pass it uh, in, a, in a sane manner. Yeah, and like you said, uh, that sane manner. Um, on that, if you happen to be trying to get these certs, uh, more power to you. They will be uh, going through, I guess, uh, hmm. yeah, okay, right. Um, so real-time follow-up, just, uh, you know, if you're going to go take these certs, try and do so as soon as possible. And I only say that because... Uh, you have a second shot available to you through Microsoft right now. So any cert that you go pay for, I believe it's $175, unless you're in, uh, getting a voucher from somebody or have some discount coupon, um, you get a second chance at it if you fail. But I believe those are uh, good through the end of this month. Yeah, they, they pretty much have second shots running year-round. Uh, you should definitely go out there and uh, take a look at any kind of coupons or discount codes or things like that that they have going on, especially if you're not consuming vouchers uh, through your employer or a Microsoft partnership, something like that. Um, you know, they, they pretty much run all the time, so it's totally worth it to go out there and do those things, whether you think you're going to pass or not. Uh, it's always helpful to have the backup option in there. Yep, no, definitely, definitely agree. Um, speaking about uh, Microsoft, though, so neither you or I had the chance to go out to San Francisco to Moscone to uh, either go to build or I guess Apple's WWDC. Um, but I think you noticed this. I noticed this as well. They're they're having their road tour. So uh, I think it's in sometime in May. Um, I'm actually going to hop on uh, good old Excella and head up for. Uh, a day to see what's going on uh, with Build New York City. And is there anything going on your way? Yeah, they have a number of cities. So this is at, uh, the website is build15.com. Uh, and this is for the 2015 Build Tour. Uh, like you said, they're going around pretty much the entire world and doing a one-day consolidated kind of uh, high-level best of the best uh, announcements that came out during build and having some of those presenters come around as well. Uh, so if you're going up to New York in May, uh, Sydney is June 1st. Um, I know there's a Chicago, I believe is like June 10th or something like that. 
there's quite a few of them in there. So, uh, we'll, you know, we'll make sure to have a link to that in the show notes for everybody. And um, hopefully folks can get out there and can get some of that. Uh, you know, at least get out and do some networking. I know all those sessions and everything are available on Channel 9. Uh, but it's nice to go out and get some of that content and perspective in person. Uh, definitely. And it's nice also, um, depending on who the speakers are, uh, in those breakout sessions to be able to, you know, raise your hand in the middle of session and say, hey, I've got a question about blah. Uh, I watched the video. You talked about this. Um, but you didn't actually address this question because nobody asked it. Um, could you give us more information on this? And I think that'll be probably the most valuable piece to me. Um, I've got some some curiosities and questions about uh, some of the different office things they showed off last week at Build. Yeah, uh, the, the other thing to keep in mind with this is uh, Build, uh, it, it costs a bunch of money, right, to go out and buy your ticket and everything else. Uh, the Build Tour, these events are free. So and anybody, you know, as long as you can get into the city where it's hosted and check it out, um, it's a great opportunity to, uh, again, get out and, and uh, get in front of uh, either product groups if they're touring or uh, product managers, things like that. Um, but also you have nothing to lose, right? <laughs> uh, free as in beer is always great. True. Um, uh, you know, and there's nothing to worry about losing one's dignity. So Dignity. Yeah. So last week, uh, last little bit of follow-up, we had talked about Dropbox comments and how they had uh, put that out in the web-based version of Dropbox, similar to... Yeah, did you get my email? Uh, I got your email, and then I went in and favorited it. I don't know if you got an email back about that. Uh, I don't know. I don't... I black box all my... black hole all my emails from Dropbox, so... Gotcha. Well, um, so yeah, it, it showed up. I got uh, I got an email that had your comment in it, and you know I clicked on the link and it took me in the web interface to that. Um, they released an update. I think it was yesterday uh, that allowed you to go in and add those comments through the iOS interface as well. Uh, I'm not quite certain when they're going to add that into uh, you know the ability to do that through Android or Windows Phone, but uh, I would not put it past them that it'll be coming out sometime soon. So. Be prepared to, well, I guess get more emails thrown into uh, junk mail. But uh, neat little functionality capability, and apparently they are also working on the ability to create documents directly from Dropbox uh, using the Office apps. So cool stuff. Well, so so they've had that. We talked about that in the past, right? Uh, you mentioned, I think, going to an event and uh, opening up uh, Office and just editing right there from Dropbox. Uh, so that's going to be a two-way street. So Office is going to be able to Office clients are going to be able to open and consume documents inside of Dropbox and edit them in real time uh, and save them back. And then it's going to go the other way as well. So uh, Dropbox.com uh, and hopefully the mobile apps at some point, uh, maybe in combination with Office Online or something like that, are going to have the ability to just edit your documents in place as well. They've had viewers for a while. Uh, but they're going to open up that functionality to let editing go on as well. So it, it, it's nice to see a lot of those things coming into that space. Um, and now this comes back to, hey, Microsoft is just the platform in the middle, right? Office is a tool and your document's a tool. We really don't care how you edit it, whether that comes from OneDrive or Dropbox or someplace else. So I could have sworn, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I could have sworn that 
uh, within Dropbox, I had the ability to open up in Word, but maybe not. So, um, one of the, well, I think what I was more referring to is inside the Dropbox iOS app, they're going to allow you to create documents uh, directly from there. So no longer would it have to be, you know, go out to Office Online. Uh, right, you know, you right. Do. Yeah, that's yep. what I just said. Yep. <laughs> Uh, just making certain that, you know, we've said the same thing three times. So, um, knocking on wood. Uh, wait. Can you hear me There now? we go. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, I think that's it for follow-up then, right? Yeah. So, uh, before we hop down to, you know, the Ignite stuff and the stuff that's a little bit of follow-up from Build and uh, some of the other minutiae, um, something interesting hit the uh, hit the news late yesterday um, that you probably, I don't know, you might have caught it or not, but uh, apparently Microsoft is evaluating a bid to buy good old Salesforce. Um, so for those of you that aren't familiar with Salesforce, it is a software as a service offering for customer relationship management. Um, they have apparently conferences that are ginormous in comparison to what uh, Microsoft has, but their uh, their footprint is slightly different and, you know, their user base is slightly different. So while you might use something like SharePoint or, uh, you know, Intelligent or some other product for social collaboration, uh, you'd be using CRM more for, hey, we've got this client that we want to call up and have them purchase something uh, we'll be able to call them back. So it's very much akin to like what Microsoft has for their CRM product. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Microsoft has been working to put CRM up in Azure um, as an office, you know, kind of solution, even though last I checked, the office team was separate from the CRM team or the Dynamics team. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see at least this probing of an idea that Microsoft might pick them up and, uh, potentially integrate them in. That wouldn't be the first time. I mean, they did that with Yammer when they realized that their SharePoint social capabilities uh, perhaps were just not cutting it. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's very interesting, right? So I think a lot of people think of Salesforce as a, uh, a CRM company, like you said, right? They're, they're a SaaS company, um, go out and buy their CRM tooling, and that's kind of a compete for the uh, dynamic stack and, and all the things that are coming out of there. Uh, from Microsoft CRM, right? Uh, the other thing that Salesforce has is the force.com platform. So that's kind of their custom application development platform. And there are a ton of companies uh, that build on top of that. So there's a little bit of synergy there between force.com and some of the kind of PaaS offerings over in the Azure side. Um, and force.com is just uh, huge. There's a ton, a ton of companies that build stuff on top. I know... Um, uh, I know like, uh, who is, it? uh, Starbucks has like their whole, you're, you're getting all choked up, man. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I get this way talking about CRM. Um, you know, Starbucks has their whole like ideas platform, uh, where people can go and vote on new drinks and things like that. That's all built on top of force.com. It almost looks like, uh, you know, some of the solutions that are built on there, they look like community sites in SharePoint 2013, uh, and kind of the community portals, things like that. Um, but really, you can use it for uh, anything. It's 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 a nice display mechanism. Um, it, uh, it makes a ton of sense if they can do it. Um, Salesforce has definitely been in front at a lot of the uh, front and center at a lot of the banners and things like that at Ignite. 
Um, it seems like there's been a little bit of a tick back from Yammer. Hey, we bought them a couple of years ago. Um, so there's a, a sense of kind of Microsoft and Salesforce are better together. Uh, definitely be interesting to see them pop a bid in and uh, see if they can integrate that platform in some way and what that would mean for uh, the Microsoft CRM group and, and what goes on over there, because there is definitely some, uh, some overlap in those technologies. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious uh, what it would be like right now to walk out on the expo floor, though, and walk over to Salesforce and say, so uh, here you're being bought by Microsoft. How's that feel? Uh, you know, it just, uh, it raises everybody's, uh, stock price a little bit, probably. Uh, I think actually Microsoft's tanked a little bit because of it and, uh, Salesforce popped pretty, uh, pretty high on that. Um, there was, I think this was yesterday, maybe, um, apparently, uh, there's a session. Yeah. Salesforce learn how to implement and drive productivity with Salesforce and Microsoft integrations. Um, so I thought that was interesting that there was a you know a paid for partner session at Ignite from Salesforce uh, talking about the two intermingling working together, but uh, technology mm, ain't a grand. It is, it is most days. Um, so I don't know if there's anything else really that we wanted to kind of chat about. Um, maybe GitHub goodness. You wanna you wanna talk about GitHub and how that. Uh, that is expanding in our world? Uh, GitHub and how that's expanding our world. Uh, GitHub's interesting. So uh, Microsoft has been uh, working kind of hand in hand, uh, or at least GitHub's been uh, a lot more front and center with putting things um, out there, whether it's tooling and then Microsoft is actually uh, storing a lot more of their stuff over in GitHub for public consumption. Uh, so there were a bunch of new tools that were announced at Build last week. Uh, I'm not sure if we talked about any of them. Uh, there was a new uh, GitHub extension for Visual Studio. So this kind of builds on top of the functionality uh, that was inside of Team Explorer in Visual Studio 2013. So now in Visual Studio 2015, we're going to have some richer tooling. Uh, there was a great session at Build with uh, Martin Woodward and Phil Hack. Um, so Phil Hack used to be a Microsoft guy. Um, he went over and he works for GitHub and, you know, he's responsible for building like the GitHub for Windows tooling, things like that. And they did a nice introductory session about the tooling um, and not just the tooling, but also how uh, GitHub's version uh, or uh, world of version control works. So they did uh, branching, merging, um, kind of how pull requests and fetches and syncs and uh, all those other things work. So I, you know, I watched the session. I thought it would be great to um, even show uh, some folks on some of my teams, maybe some of my infrastructure guys, uh, as we get closer to this DevOps infrastructure as code world. Um, sometimes it can be confusing to work with source control systems. So uh, maybe it'll be a nice introduction for them. Uh, the other thing that we had was uh, a lot of these projects that Microsoft has been putting out are hosted directly over on GitHub. So, um, you know, it's been this way for a while for things, especially in the Azure space and the .NET space. Uh, so like the .NET uh, Core CLR and I believe Roslyn's over on Git, Roslyn is over on GitHub. Uh, we've also got, uh, what else? Oh man, all sorts of stuff. Uh, they announced the Azure ARM stuff, um, all those new templates for Azure ARM. 
are publicly consumable over on GitHub. So uh, it's definitely an interesting time to, to get out there and see what Microsoft is doing um, as they make all of this content publicly consumable, which, you know, a lot of us have been beating the drum for a long time saying, well, let's get out there and actually give us access to the tools so we can see how you're doing it. Uh, and they've gotten a lot better about that. Yeah, so I think for me, I didn't, and maybe this is just me being silly or misinformed, but I could have sworn that Visual Studio had native Git um, connectivity before the little uh, update that was pushed out last week. Am I, am I wrong about that? So Visual Studio 2013 within Team Explore, uh, it does have uh, Git integration. So uh, it, it's kind of, mm, I, it would be analogous to like Git Basic versus Git Pro or Git Premium with the new extension. Uh, so the new extension has uh, a bunch of new tooling to help out with managing your actual like code lifecycle and branching processes. Uh, in addition to uh, providing some nice, richer graphical interfaces um, around what what those check-in, check-outs look like um, or, or kind of what that build process and, and branch process looks like. So you, they actually provide like a graphical timeline of uh, pushes to repos or pull requests to repos. Uh, so you can walk down the entire line and you can see where things branched off, where they were forked, where they got merged back in. Um, so it's it's really nice kind of where that tooling is going. Um, and then we also had uh, Visual Studio Code, which was that kind of uh, cross-platform, uh, really lightweight uh, editor was released last week. Uh, that also has native support for uh, Git within it. Uh, so if anybody's, anybody's doing anything with that, uh, you know, they can just go ahead and do uh, pushes and pulls straight from that tool as well. Right, but isn't uh, isn't that code, you know, Visual Studio Code, uh, built off of the Atom uh, text editor, which also has Git integration? Yeah, it's it's based on uh, Atom, which is based on Chromium, uh, so it, it's got a lot of that stuff right inside of it. But uh, it's kind of across the entire ecosystem at this point. Um, and the, the other thing is, um, you know, if anybody hasn't been using uh, VSO or Visual Studio Online, um, TFS for a while now has had the ability to, and, and VSO, um, has had the ability to deploy um, a couple different types of uh, repositories. So you could deploy uh, traditional TFS repositories where you've got check-in, check-out, and uh, really kind of atomic operations. And uh, you could also deploy Git-style repos. Uh, where you've got more of the distributed version control thing going on. Um, you know, I've got my local repo, let me bank a bunch of changes, merge them back in, push, pull, things like that. Um, so they're making a pretty big push to uh, make that integration a lot richer too. Uh, so I can kind of see, uh, you know, for companies that want to get to the point uh, where maybe distributed version control makes some more sense, uh, Microsoft's got all that tooling in place now uh, with VSO, uh, and all those uh, nice things. Yeah, and I guess one of the other things that uh, popped up last week um, in between, you know, when we recorded and uh, today was uh, Microsoft announced that they were working with GitHub to have GitHub Enterprise uh, available through Azure. So if you want to stand up your own version of GitHub Enterprise, uh, similar to how you would do it on-premises, you can now do that straight on Azure 
Um, this is something that was out on AWS a while ago, but it is, you know, if you don't want to have your stuff out there in the public cloud on GitHub's uh, repository and their server, you're more than welcome to just uh, go push out your own and use it there. Yeah, you know, this is all about kind of having your cake and eating it too, right? So you can do this route. You can say, I want to deploy to a public repo on GitHub. Uh, maybe you have a paid GitHub account, like a non-enterprise, but a paid GitHub account, and you have a private repo there. Or uh, you can have a Visual Studio Online repo. So that's even outside of GitHub Enterprise. You know, if you're just an MSDN subscriber and you want to have your kind of five free users in a VSO repository, awesome. Spin up a Git repo, be able to do CI and all the other things that you need to do uh, in the cloud without having to stand up TFS servers or your own kind of uh, Git servers, things like that. Um, and then for a while now, Microsoft, um, they've uh, kind of been uh, integrating Azure and GitHub. Uh, so they've had, you know, the, the Kudu stuff in uh, Azure App Services, uh, formerly Azure Websites. Um, they also have the Deploy to Azure button, um, which can, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of tooling on GitHub that's meant for Azure. So if you've got like a custom app service or a custom logic app, something like that, that you publish into a public repo, uh, you can go ahead and just have a button right in your, uh, your, your description markdown that says, hey, go ahead and deploy me to Azure. Uh, and you click that button, it pops you over and your resources are deploying. So there's really some neat, neat stuff going on in that space. Um, you know, I sat and, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit, um, I've been sitting through some of these sessions and watching them and just going, oh man, uh, being a developer today is uh, actually pretty great. You know, a lot of the things that we had to do in bootstrap in the in the past ourselves, uh, just to get things going, it was a lot of kind of uh, repetitive grunt work. And all these vendors have just taken the friction right out of that. There's really uh, no excuse to not being able to get up and running with this stuff very, very quickly. Yeah, I think uh, the developers out there now have it pretty darn good. But the IT pros, uh, bless them, man. They've got so much to know now and so much to kind of absorb and run with, especially when it comes to, you know, uh, configuration with PowerShell and not necessarily through GUIs because you got to use PowerShell. There's just no way around it. Yeah, this is the new way forward, right? So we had uh, some announcements around Nano Server last week. Uh, and I know Jeffrey Snover and Mark Rusinovich, they've been kind of beating the drum at Ignite this week about the next generation compute platforms and what's going to go into there. So, you know, Nano Server is fully headless, fully uh, remote managed. Um, it's all about that kind of Hyper-V and scale-out file server scenario today. Uh, so it, it's going to be tough if uh, IT pros haven't been learning these skills in the past. You know, everybody's been kind of beating the drum and saying, you have to do this. You have to do this. Come on, guys, you really have to do this. And, you know, there, there's been a lot of resistance and hesitation where everybody's saying, keep giving me GUIs and things like that. Uh Microsoft's fully on board the train of you're not going to have a GUI locally. Uh, you might have a GUI for remote management, but really you should learn about orchestration um, and starting to think a little bit more like a programmer so that you can uh, deploy resources and systems uh, and even not just your kit, but entire software environments uh, in a more... Uh, 
I guess, sane manner, right? We, we really want to be able to package things up and look at them holistically uh, and spend uh, more time on helping out our users than we are, you know, kind of babysitting and making sure that we click the right button in the uh, Windows Roles uh, wizard to install IAS or something else. Yeah, I think that uh, <clears throat> you nailed it on the head. Um... A lot of this just goes back to repeatable processes, and more often than not, uh, it was always, you know, we'd be working through a SharePoint 2010 installation or a 2007 installation, and they would say, well, I set it all up, it should be good to go for anonymous access, and it's not working, what's wrong? And, you know, it would be because they forgot to put in that user uh, identity on the local computer and the local accounts to actually have anonymous read. Um, but yeah, so much of this is just, you know, we're not, as IT pros, we're not necessarily quote unquote developers, but being able to think in that process driven mindset of events and activities uh, to be able to solve our problems and do it in that repeatable fashion is huge. And uh, I'm really hoping that uh, some of the IT pros that have been around for a while that, you know, kind of have refused to pick up scripting of any sort uh, will start to get it that they need to need to change gears. Yeah, I hope this becomes a little bit easier. So uh, I don't know if you, you know, I know you said you haven't been really kind of keeping up with the latest and greatest announcements, um, but they mentioned uh, something in the Ignite keynote and they've had a couple of sessions about it called Azure Stack, uh, which is kind of bringing, uh, which is different than Azure Pack. Apparently Azure Pack is going to stay around and now we're going to have Azure Stack as well. Um, so Azure Stack is really having a version of Azure uh, that you're going to run within your own data center. Um, so pretty interesting stuff. The, the, the really neat thing is in, in Azure Pack, we kind of had some compatibility um, at the service management layer and the API layer. This is really full bore. If you can do it in Azure, you're going to be able to do it in Azure Stack kind of thing. Um, and one of the really interesting things with that is it brings along the uh, resource manager and, and the resource templates that come with that, right? So you mentioned getting IT pros on board with uh, scripting and kind of more mm, uh, uh, functional awareness of what's going on with their systems. Uh, so in the past, you know, if we wanted to deploy something uh, like SharePoint or um, let's let's keep it even more high level, like a, a set of domain controllers, right? We wanted to put a couple DCs up uh, and have them replicate between each other and do all those things. Uh, you know, if we wanted to do that in the past, we would and we wanted to automate it. We'd be going out and writing some PowerShell scripts. There would be some for loops. We'd have to do a bunch of testing and figure out dependencies and things like that. Um, hopefully, when Resource Manager comes along and becomes more prevalent, uh, especially on-premises, if, if companies start to deploy this tooling, uh, then we can get to this space where we get outside of programmatic deployments and we get into declarative deployments. So it's going to be a lot easier to sit down and author a JSON file that comes and says, I need two servers and here's the resources that they need. But, oh, I need a network when I deploy this server. So here, let me software define that network as well, declaratively. And here's all the things and, uh, oh, maybe I need a parameter on there because uh, you know I need uh, my subnets to be dynamic, something like that. So, great, let's go ahead and do that. Um, and then all that stuff's just in a file and that file handles your kind of uh, deployment and provisioning on the back end, right? There's an engine that consumes your file and says, oh, look at this. You had a dependency between server one and server two. 
maybe a script needs to run on server one before we run a script on server two, and then we need to go back to server one and run another script. So you can now do all that stuff declaratively inside those files. So uh, that kind of uh, resource manager layer has really come a long way. And again, having access to that on-premises, I think will make that transition a little bit easier for IT pros. Uh, you're still going to need to know about PowerShell and you're still going to need to know about scripting, uh, but there's going to be a little bit less of a dependence on there. So maybe you can focus a little bit more on uh, deploying your environments and, and uh, everything holistically and really involve your developers in that process as well, right? If, if we want to truly get to this kind of um, DevOps utopia, you, your developers can help you out with deploying your infrastructure. It's not the end of the world to have them touch it as long as everybody's talking and communicating and, and on the same page. So you mean all the developers and IT pros have the same vocabulary and certification background? Mm, yeah, yeah. I, I know you're big on the certification thing. I'd, I'd be bigger on just the vocabulary part of it, right? Let's make sure we're on the same page. Um, and, you know, I, I, I've noticed this kind of going out and, uh, you know, we've been working on uh, some things and proposals and things like that and seeing stuff pop up more recently around companies wanting to go to a DevOps mindset or infrastructure as code and not really understanding what that means and what they need to deploy in the systems and processes that they need to put in place uh, with not just, uh, you know, kind of, um, hey, here's the stuff we need to buy, but here's the things that we need to teach our teach our folks, whether that's a class or a certification or something else to get everybody onto the same page. Yeah, I think uh, kind of like you say, um, <laughs> helping explain, you know, what certain things mean, um, it it always cracks me up when we ever we have a, a good old, you know, oh, well, I heard this word and, you know, I, I think we need to implement it and start getting involved in it. And while that might be true, um, it's always painful when, uh, you know, as, as a techie, you're, you're hearing them talk about something and you're sitting there scratching your head and going, you realize what you're asking for, right? Um, similar to, you know, when you and I used to give that talk on SharePoint hybrid with uh, 2010 and 2013, folks would say they wanted to go hybrid and then we'd uh, start pointing out what software they needed and what hardware they needed and they started going, oh, that's what's involved. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely a changing landscape and the vocabulary, like you said, is really the key thing. Certifications, yeah, they're great. Um, it's nice to show that you know something and show that... Uh, you've got the chops to do it, but if you've got the vocabulary to be able to talk with your colleagues, peers, um, I think that's probably just as good. Um, there are a lot of very smart people out there that don't have certifications that can, uh, you know, run circles around most of us, uh, any, any day of the week. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see, we're about 40 minutes in. Should we talk about ignite or some of these kind of specifics of things that went on there? Uh, yeah. So I, Though I am not there, apparently I am there, um, Isaac Stith decided to print off a fairly large photo of me from, I think, Facebook, might have been LinkedIn, um, and is taking me to different booths that have reached out to me on Twitter to say, hey, we'd like you to come by our booth. And I've said, Isaac, take us to take us to the booth and introduce me to them. So <laughs> Get me over there. Has he been doing that? I, I know I've seen your picture popping up a couple places. I don't think I've seen it in any of the, any of the booths yet. Yeah, so there was a there was a booth yesterday. Um, I'll have to figure out which 
which company it was, but um, they, they pinged me and they said, hey, you should, uh, you should come by our booth. And I think it might have been, it was either H3 Solutions, so the guys that make Mobile Entree, um, or it was uh, 2X by Parallels. I think it was the Parallels folks. So Isaac took me over to the Parallels folks. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he has me posing with uh, one of the sales gals that's there. Um, so I found that to be pretty entertaining. But, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, on the, on the brighter side of Ignite, um, kind of like we mentioned, uh, if you've got time, if you've got an RSS feed reader, go grab those videos. They're up there. They're out there. Um, the... The Ignite keynote, um, I, don't, I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but I felt like the Ignite keynote, um, while it was well put together, it was well scripted, um, I really feel like the build one was just a little bit more exciting. Uh, the only thing that really uh, caught me um, off guard was probably when they started talking about the Windows Server 2016 stuff with the Azure stack. Um, but uh, all in all, the... Uh, the keynote, I think, was a little bit lackluster, um, perhaps just because, you know, I was expecting since the, the SharePoint conference was one of the key proponents of this conference that there wasn't more of an influence uh, on SharePoint, um, but seemed to be more uh, around the three core uh, areas that they were talking about with, you know, creating more personal computing and whatnot. Yeah, I'm, you know, SharePoint as a product uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be there because it's kind of part of these core experiences, right? So SharePoint's just a piece of the platform. It's not the, the whole pie anymore. Um, and especially if you look at something like Office 365, right? We we had um, some of the, uh, I, I think they had some stuff about like Office Groups and, and Delve and some of the things that have been going on there in the keynote. Uh, so having some insight into that and Hey, you know, that stuff's built on top of SharePoint, but it's also built on top of Exchange. And you really don't need to worry about that. You just need to worry about that. We're giving you an experience and here's how that experience works. Um, uh, you know, I wasn't that disappointed with the keynote. I managed to stay awake for the Ignite keynote. Uh, I totally fell asleep during the build one. It was just too much for me with all that developer stuff. Um, but, you know, the, this one kept me going. And uh, I think they did have some... Uh, some interesting stuff in there. Uh, I really liked all the bits and pieces around uh, the new threat analytics that's coming out. Um, they also had some demos of some new Azure AD premium uh, reports that are going to come out. Uh, so as uh, organizations get better access to tooling like Azure AD premium and they don't need to buy it through the VL portal anymore, things like that, uh, hopefully this stuff can become more prevalent within organizations because uh, there was all sorts of good stuff there. Uh, they talked a little bit about uh, Azure Stack and bringing that into on-premises. Um, I've got to go and watch some more sessions on that because I'm kind of interested in the story of what happens um, between Azure Stack uh, CPS, which is kind of the, the cloud in a box that you can buy, uh, or Azure Pack. So uh, I saw a talk that happened after the keynote with Jeffrey Snover and Mark Rusinovich, um, and, you know, they talked about Azure Pack sticking around. Well, <laughs> why does Azure Pack have to stick around if we've got Azure Stack now? Um, you know, if we've removed the dependencies on or the reliance on System Center and some of the other things, why can't we just, you know, keep those as monitoring agents and everything else and actually, you know, 
have Azure on-premises. So we still got a bunch of tools, things like that, uh, that are going to be going in and, and hitting uh, kind of the same note, right? And, and that's still a little bit confusing. Um, they had a bunch of uh, Power BI demos and kind of what's going on there. Uh, so it's nice to see that end user data stack uh, come into place as well. Uh, you know, I, I'm not as down on the keynote uh, as you were. Uh, there are a couple of really good um, summaries out there. There's uh, one that has uh, links to kind of uh, all the things that they actually demoed during the keynote. Uh, and then uh, windowsitpro.com had a uh, great just summary of here's all the things that were announced. Um, you know, I'm again, I'm kind of ambivalent to SharePoint uh, being given uh, a backseat. You know, they also didn't mention Yammer in the keynote. Uh, you know, they, they spent a bunch of money on that. And hey, where's Enterprise Social now that we're two or three years into it? Um, you know, that, that wasn't one of kind of the core announcements either. Uh, you know, that's just part of the tooling in Delve and, and let's surface things up and make them available that way. Yeah, I know. I guess what I was really hoping for was that they would have something to the effect of uh, here is a Mac OS X server running Yosemite and we're going to install, uh, you know, SharePoint on it or, or a SQL server on it or something like that and really blow everybody's minds. <laughs> Because they didn't blow enough minds with the container demo, uh, you know, I, I thought that was a great demo as well. Uh, so Mark Rusinovich had a demo with Windows Server containers, um, not just Docker containers. Uh, they're still evaluating what products and uh, workloads uh, and functionality and roles and everything are going to be able to run within those containers. But I think once they nail that down, that that's going to be a great story as well. Uh, moving forward, so being able to extend the, uh, the 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 virtualization story a little bit further, um, and really start to get some more uh, density across servers. Yeah, and uh, uh, I know, I know, it's cool stuff, Scott. I know. I guess uh, I was just really getting my hopes up that there would be something really, really amazing. Um, Windows Windows Dockers are pretty cool. <laughs> Windows Dockers are more than pretty cool. They're really cool. Yeah. Um, so some of the other Ignite stuff. Uh, did you did you go play with the uh, SharePoint 2016 hosted demo that FP Web had? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting one. Didn't it look just like SharePoint 2013? <laughs> <laughs> Not only does it look just like SharePoint 2013, but it also, uh, if you go ahead and take a look at some of the URLs and things that are in there, uh, it's rendering out of the 15 hive, right? Uh, so they, they might have updated build numbers and things like that on the back end, but uh, on the front end and the way the physical layout is uh, on the server today, uh, it's still going to look like SharePoint 2013 and, and the bits and pieces that go into there. Um, there's been a couple sessions that have kind of talked about uh, branding and the path forward. Um, and really, it's it's not going to change that much, right? If it, it hasn't changed too much in Office 365, um, there's no reason for it really to change on-premises at this point. Um, you might see that happen over time if Office 365 gets a major update, and now we're going to have a uh, a quicker uh, release cadence for patches for SharePoint. Uh, well, uh, 
we're not going to have a quicker cadence. The cadence is still going to be monthly, uh, but we're going to have a much easier patching process, right? So uh, Bill Baer had a session on uh, what's new for IT pros in SharePoint Server 2016, uh, where he dove into the patching process a little bit. Uh, so the nice thing about what's going to go on there is they plan to have uh, smaller MSIs and MSPs uh, for deployments. Uh, and basically the goal is to have um, your servers actually online while you're doing patching. Uh, so that's been a real sticky point in the past with SharePoint is traditionally, uh, if we only have one farm, we have to take our farm offline at some point uh, to be able to actually apply patches all the way through. Uh, so they, they specifically talked about having uh, four nines of availability. So a 99.99 .99, uh, availability through patching, which is excellent. And, um, you know, hopefully that makes it a little bit easier to folks get on board the, uh, the functionality train as new things are released and come out. I think uh, the thing that caught me um, with Bill Bear's talk uh, about the patching uh, more just, you know, <clears throat> they can be done online. They can be done online um, with the system operational. Uh, what happens next time that we have a bad patch get pushed out? Yeah, so patches are going to be smaller, uh, which hopefully means they actually have some time to put a little more rigor around them. Uh, they didn't quite mention uh, if anything was going to change with the nomenclature and patching. So today we have um, CUs and PUs and we have security updates and all sorts of different things. And they all mean different things. Um, you know, the guidance in the past has, and, and today has always been uh, don't apply a CU unless you need a specific fix that's available in it. Like security fixes are fine, but don't be going out applying patches every month just because you can apply patches every month unless you're testing them or something else, you know, if, uh, if you don't need the functionality, then let's not go ahead and deploy it. So they didn't say if that's going to be changing at all. Um, they, I, I do believe that he mentioned, uh, uh, I was just watching the Twitter live stream, his video is not up. Uh, but I, I do believe somebody mentioned something around, uh, hopefully they're going to be putting a little more um, thought into testing patches uh, before they come out. Uh, you know, you're still going to need uh, staging environments or... Uh, kind of uh, uh, user acceptance or something like that, where you're going to be able to uh, deploy these things and test them out before they go to production. Of course you are. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not going to get away from that that kind of licensing thing. Uh, and then, you know, one of the other interesting things they announced there as well, um, I, I think we were chatting back and forth a little about, bit about this, is they have this new concept of a minimum role or uh, reducing the... Uh, surface of a SharePoint installation. So when you go ahead and deploy a SharePoint server, whether you do that through the uh, kind of config XML and setup, or you do it through the installation wizard, there's a new screen that pops up and basically says, um, what kind of a role do you want to deploy? So in the past, you know, back in like SharePoint 2007, we could say, hey, I want to have just a WFE or I want to have a full installation. And now that mindset is kind of back where we can have uh, specialized loads, uh, we can have caching servers, we can have web front ends. And when you deploy those things, those servers are really just deployed for that role. Um, I know some people are really happy about this because it does cut down on the surface, uh, you know, of, of what's actually installed on that server. I would 
bet that a lot of people are going to stay traditional and go with the, the specialized load, which kind of means everything comes onto your server. Um, because there are a lot of times, um, especially on internal deployments where like a search server goes bad and you want to be able to uh, have another server in your farm, uh, stand up those services and start to consume and serve them out. Right. And, you know, if you were in a minimum role where it was a web front end only, you're not gonna be able to do that. You're gonna have to actually go out and deploy a whole new server and, and put those bits and pieces on there and maybe do any remediation or things like that to get it up and running. Uh, so, and, you know, I can see it being really helpful for uh, internet facing sites where we have web front ends maybe sitting out in uh, kind of a, another network segment or something like that. And, and we're worried about the things that are going out there. But if you're in a purely internal SharePoint deployment, I think it's going to be a tough sell um, getting people to the point where, hey, you've got a 30 server farm and now, you know, maybe it's got to be like a 36 server farm because all of a sudden we need to have backups for our backups um, on the servers and, and actually be able to have things ready to go. Yeah, I think that was probably my biggest concern is that folks are going to start doing those minimum roles and then something's going to croak and their you know, IT manager is going to come knock on the door and say, hey, why is it we can't get to blah or why is it we're not synchronizing data um, through resource management, uh, request management, excuse me. Um, so, you know, it's definitely one of those where at least for me, I'm probably still going to be going with quote unquote this special load. Um, somebody on Twitter today said, and I can't verify this or not, not having watched the session, but uh, something to the effect of the single server install will no longer be supported. Um, I could have sworn I saw somebody else say the single server install will not support SQL Express. Um, and that you have to use a full version of SQL, not that it will not be supported. Yes, yeah, that, the, so uh, the, the use case is going to be that SQL Server Express uh, is going to be gone, and you're basically going to need to bring your own SQL installation. Um, whether that's a single server install where you have a kind of all-in-one installation with SQL Server and SharePoint and a domain controller and everything on there, uh, there was a slide uh, in that uh, what's new for IT professionals um, that kind of talked about supported installation scenarios and things like that. So for developers, still going to be supported to have your DC and, and everything right there. Um, you're just going to need the resources to run it like we have in the past. Um, but there's there, there's no, no, no more SQL Express. Um, and you, you know what? That's probably a good thing because that had all sorts of limitations and everything else. And when you came from foundation um, over to server, there were just wonky things that happened and migrations if you had to do them. So best to avoid it. Um, you know, we've got to be on board the kind of latest and greatest SQL train anyway now. Um, so SharePoint 2016 is going to require SQL Server 2014 with Service Pack 1 uh, or SQL vNext, uh, whatever that ends up being. If that ends up being 2015, 2016, 2017 when they release it, who knows? Um, you know, whatever goes into those bits and pieces. So it, it it's, it's going to be nice to... Um, kind of get everybody on the same page and get away from some of those, uh, you know, at least in my world, less used installation scenarios. I know that's not going to make some folks in the small business world happy, uh, but that's kind of the reality of it is uh, it's, it's going to require a full sequel now. So speaking of things that uh, <clears throat> we're not too interested in being a part of SharePoint anymore, your favorite component apparently got uh, booted out, buddy. Your good old favorite uh, FIM component that they baked in 
to SharePoint 2016 uh, is no more. So very similar to the way in SharePoint 2007, uh, you could do an AD import of whatever your local AD was, or you could use an external FIM. So it looks like after all the feedback and all the uh, trouble, pain, hearts, and probably tweets from Spence Harbor, uh, they realized that they needed to either slimline it back down and just uh, externalize it if you have more of those complex use cases. Yeah, it's not a bad thing, right? Um, so they're still going to allow that external FIM access or kind of the external connectors. Whether uh, It'll be interesting to see whether that's FIM or uh, Microsoft Identity Manager, which is kind of on the fast train right now. And um, they've got a crazy uh, release cadence for that. You know, they're actively working on it. Um, you know, I think internally, uh, AD has always been great. It's always worked just fine. Uh, so simplifying that tooling and making sync easier, it just cuts down on another headache that we had as IT pros, right? Standing up a UPS wasn't the end of the world if you did it the right way. It just it had a lot of requirements to do it the right way. And it was really annoying to work with um, other organizations if you didn't own your entire infrastructure, you know, going to your uh, domain admins or your enterprise admins and saying, hey guys, we need to go ahead and set this permission on a configuration container and we need this replicating directory changes permission and other things. Um, you know, that, that was kind of tough to do. So maybe if they got rid of some of those things as well, I didn't see any specific mention of that. Um, you know, hopefully it makes it a little bit easier for us to go through and do these deployments. Yeah, um, I'm excited about that, that alone, my friend. Um, so a couple of the other announcements around SharePoint are, are love and whatnot. Uh, apparently it will support 10 gigabyte file uploads, which again, kind of blows my mind um, why you would need 10 gigabytes for a file to be uploaded to your local SharePoint server. It tells me that you probably have some users that need to learn how to use versioning uh, with PowerPoint, but you know, that's what it is. Um, couple of the other things, uh, I know in the past, list throttling at 5,000 items has become one of those issues where folks kind of cringe and they're like, ah, we've got 5,500 items and we can't convince the guy that runs the SharePoint portal to actually up that um, for this list. Uh, well, apparently it will no longer be an issue. Um, another one of the items that they announced was that you can now have 100,000 site collections inside a content database which to me kind of removes any limitation of why you would need, you know, multiple content databases, especially since they can support multiple terabytes now. Um, but it's, uh, it's that world of kind of craziness in folks uh, not potentially uh, setting themselves up for success when it comes to disaster recovery. So while you can have 100,000 site collections inside of a single content database does not mean you should. Um, yeah, I, I, that's that one's still going to be about sizing and uh, kind of our recovery point, recovery time objectives, right? Um, you're still not going to be able to restore a four terabyte database in five minutes. Like that's just not going to happen. Uh, it'd be awesome if it would. I know that would make you really happy. Uh, so there's still going to be some planning that has to go in and some uh, forethought that needs to be put into sitting down and figuring out how we're actually going to configure our installations. It's not going to be uh, a set it and forget it kind of thing. So one thing they have not talked about, even though it would be nice, is SharePoint Designer. <clears throat> um, maybe they have and I just haven't heard it, but 
so other cool announcements. Um, SAML is still our default for authentication. So if you have not uh, jumped on the crazy train of claims authentication for uh, Windows, well, not for Windows, but for all the you could use it for Windows, uh, for SharePoint 2013, um, get ready. It's still your default for 2016. Um, and then the other couple uh, tidbits. Um, you remember how, this is more that hybrid story, but you know how uh, if you ran uh, SharePoint 2010 and SharePoint 2013 and you said, hey, I want to be your friend, I want to federate with you and talk, and you would run a search query on your 2013 system that was federated with your 2010 system, and the search results came back, and while you could get search results from your neighborly 2010 system, uh, the search results were not intermingled. Um, the same held true for uh, SharePoint 2013 with SharePoint Online. If you ended up doing inbound or outbound or, you know, the full two-way trust, um, you could search one from the other, but the search results would be independent of one another, so they'd show up in two different spots. Uh, apparently, they will now be blended, um, and not only will it, will it work for uh, 2016 in SharePoint Online, it'll work for 2010, 2013, 2016 with SharePoint Online. So I thought that was... Uh, pretty neat that they were doing that. Yeah, it, they, they've got some uh, interesting stuff being backported, at least to 2013, right? They said uh, for some of these hybrid workloads, which are, mm, they've kind of changed the story. Let's not take your workloads to the cloud. Let's bring the cloud to your workloads, right? So for things like Delve or uh, Search SSAs, uh, let's let you run those in the cloud um, and let them kind of work against data that's on premises. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how some of these things uh, work within uh, real world environments. Like what are the uh, bandwidth requirements and kind of latency and other things that we're gonna see for something like a cloud SSA, right? Uh, what kind of limitations is that gonna have as far as, um, uh, as far as uh, sizing and maybe even pricing, right? Like, does it live with an Office 365? Is it a separate component that we purchase? Uh, what if we just need a cloud SSA? And, you know, do we still need O365 licenses all the way through? Uh, th there's going to be a bunch of questions around that. And, and that story is going to get uh, solidified over time. True. Um, you mentioned the backporting piece. Uh, I'm guessing you also saw the announcement that they would be putting out a feature pack for SharePoint 2013 later this year that included a cloud uh, service application? Yeah, so that's to help with some of the Delve hybrids and things like that. So getting that functionality on-premises is important to them, uh, or it was important enough to customers that now it's important to Microsoft. Uh, so they're going to have that functionality uh, coming down the pipe at some point, uh, probably in the form of another service pack, because we should be due for one of those pretty soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking the service pack, uh, I want to say the first one was released about 18 months after, uh, you know, RTM. So we've been eh, coming up on a year. So maybe in the year this year, we'll we'll see that come down. Who knows? All in due time. I'm sure it, it will be well vetted and tested. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, I'm expecting three versions at least. <laughs> uh, you know, it'll, maybe it'll be baselined right, but who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Um, so 
Let's see. That's, I think, all we've got from the Ignite world. Um, props to those of you that survived the uh, Red Party and the Best of Breed Awards last night. Uh, it looked like uh, folks were out pretty late, so I'm going to guess those uh, 9 a.m. sessions this morning probably weren't all that packed. <laughs> yeah, you won an award, didn't you? You're, you're like a Harmony Top 25, Office 365 in what are you influencer that's a mouthful uh, influenza yeah influenza yep so uh adam levithan went and uh stopped by there to pick up the glassware for me um i don't know if that's uh if it's an honor or you know i don't know um i've got conflicted thoughts about how uh these uh different uh, awards work um, especially ones that end up being dropped out in social media, um, knowing that, uh, you know, in some ways it becomes almost a popularity contest or it becomes one of those things where folks go in and they say, vote for me, vote for me, vote for me, and they have no influence whatsoever. But uh, if you get a chance, go out to the link on the Harmony website and check out what Spence Harbor put for uh, his Twitter handle and his uh, his job role. Um, they were they were pretty funny. Um, I know he has uh, feelings about the influenza awards as well. So, um, yeah, it is what it is. I think the one the one good thing about him this time around, um, they did have uh, a tribute to um, Dave Coleman. So, if you're not familiar who Dave Coleman is, he passed away from complications due to cancer. And uh, he was, you know, based in the UK. Uh, great guy. Um, we all miss him. So, yeah, uh, that was that was nice that they did that tribute to him. But I guess uh, the way that the influencer awards are chosen is uh, it's interesting. I, I don't really have a good way of uh, saying my thoughts on it. Public voting, man. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you look at that, though, it's just one of those things where you look at it and you're, you kind of scratch your head and you go, did someone write a script to, you know, iterate through email addresses and just vote for a certain person? Or is that person even viable in that, uh, in that area of expertise? So it's, uh, it's, it's strange. You're right. It's it's public voting. Um, I think I put Mickey Mouse as one of my uh, votes. <laughs> Time will tell. We'll see if your blog gets any more traffic. Yeah, there we go. WordPress.com will love me when uh, I crash their servers, right? Yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to do that if TechCrunch hasn't done it yet. Or Facebook. True, true. true. Um, so some other cool things going on. Uh, it seems like they're stalking us, but... Uh, OneDrive for Business now has APIs uh, available. Um, they're in preview, and that came out sometime after we recorded last week. So I, I think it was Thursday afternoon uh, during one of the sessions. They said, hey, OneDrive for Business is now included in the OneDrive APIs. So you can head on over to dev.onedrive.com, and there's a link for that uh, available. Um, I, I see that along with the Office Graph capabilities and Delve and whatnot really uh, starting to play a pretty big deal in terms of being able to make custom applications on top of Office 365, being able to store your files, you know, where you want to store them, so on and so forth. But 
we'll see. I think at least they're making it open and available instead of being kind of closed off. Yeah, I, you know, they've made a, a huge push at Build last week to open up Office 365 and leverage it as a development platform. Uh, you're, and getting, you're getting choked up again, Scott. I am. I've, I've got like planes coming in behind me in the background. It's the uh, uh, man, it's rough over here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they, they've made a huge push to open that stuff up and make it available to developers. And that's not just SharePoint developers. They want web devs to come in. Uh, they really want anybody to be able to deploy that tooling and sell it and push it out to the marketplace. So um, it's going to be really, really nice to see that story come together over time. Um, and it, it's already come along quite a long way. So uh, some of those guys like like Jeremy Thake and Chris Johnson over in kind of the, the marketing program manager side of things, they've absolutely been uh, killing it with the the stuff that they've been releasing and pushing out for general consumption. Killing it is definitely a good way of putting it. Uh, I'm amazed what those two guys have been able to do on that team and getting them, you know, working in the right direction. So I'm uh, I'm excited to see what they put out there next from an API perspective. Oh, it's all coming. Um, you know, it'll probably be on GitHub with the PowerShell DSC modules. Ooh, those are pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so for anybody who hasn't tried out uh, DSC yet, so that's our desired state configuration. Uh, you know, it's kind of the, the printer driver of the uh, configuration management world. Um, we can build custom resources and things like that. Uh, and there were some uh, Microsoft employees, uh, some PFEs out here in Australia. Uh, who started work on a uh, official DSC module for SharePoint. So it's up to version 0.2 already. Uh, and you can go out and uh, deploy a farm, handle managed accounts, and, and a bunch of other things uh, through the uh, desired state configuration, which is really awesome. Uh, the timing was really bad. There was another guy who released a module like a week prior named exactly the same thing. And it did uh, really like an eighth of the functionality. Uh, so this is nice to see out there. Um, like I said, it does uh, installs. It can join additional servers to farms. It does um, uh, cache servers and, and, and bringing those in and out of installations. So uh, really some powerful stuff if folks have walked down the kind of uh, declarative templating path for pushing farms out. So, Scott, in your professional opinion, is DSC the end-all be-all? Uh, DSC is another tool in the toolbox, right? <laughs> uh, it, I, I, know, I know we've seen a bit of an uptick with uh, folks asking for uh, this functionality or, or this type of kind of um, holistic management of an environment. Uh, DSC doesn't do everything that you want it to do. Uh, it's not... Um, it's not meant to be a tool like Puppet or Chef or Vagrant or something like that. Um, it's it's really lower level where we can build custom resources on top of it as ISVs or developers, right? If you want full bore configuration management and uh, really want to build it in kind of your change management within your organization, you're probably going to want to look at some higher level tooling like Chef. Chef's pretty good. Um, you know, they automatically consume all DSC modules. And then you get all the stuff that Chef does on top of that, which is really nice. DSC is lower level um, and it gets the job done. 
Uh, it's nice for one-offs. It's a little wonky when you start to look at it as, hey, let's set up a poll server and let's actually start to use this as kind of an enterprise management solution. Uh, you know, you have to build a bunch of tooling kind of on the side to manage things. You know, like uh, one thing uh, I've run into in the past is uh, if you set up a DSC poll server, uh, the way your uh, all your poll clients talk to that server and figure out whether they need to get a configuration is through a GUID, right? So now you've got to have a kind of system in place to uh, create and map GUIDs to individual servers that are out there, or else the local configuration manager, the LCM on your client, um, when it talks back to the poll server, it can't actually find which configuration it's supposed to have. Uh, so there, there's there's weird kind of things like that that happen there versus going to somebody like Chef and saying, let's just deploy an agent. And the agent automatically talks back. It knows who the server is, talks to the master and says, all right, you know, give me whatever cookbook you have to uh, go ahead and run some things. So no, I believe you're with that one. No, no, no. Just kind of the bottom line, like you mentioned, um, it's going to, you know, if you want to. If you want to build a robot, you're going to have to use multiple tools. It's not just going to be one tool. So, one thing in the toolkit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you could potentially do a lot of things with DSC. Um, I know Enrique Lima does a bunch of stuff with DSC and uh, loves it. And I, I won't uh, give him any crap for it because he knows it pretty darn well. But... Um, he also knows a lot of Chef and Puppet as well, so he you know, does what he needs to do. And like he said, uh, you end up using multiple tools to get a job done. It's not just, uh, it's not just one thing. Yeah, you're going to use the right tool for the right job, right? I, I think DSC uh, today and the functionality that it presents today with the current, I, th I think they're up to wave 10 of the resource kit. Um, you, you know, you've got to be on WMF5 and, and all these other things. Uh, you know, as long as you can meet those requirements, it's really great for kind of one-off configurations and one-off builds. Uh, you know, I, I see it as a great tool for building environments. Um, when you really start to talk about doing uh, configuration management and some of the other things, it gets a little harder. Um, one of my one of my favorite quotes about some of this stuff is um, uh, Jeffrey Snover. So uh, you know, he's the uh, the guy who basically runs uh, and is in charge of engineering for the Windows Server division and PowerShell and all those other things. Um, so, you know, kind of one of these people who has a really pretty big direct impact on something tooling like DSC. Uh, he, you know, he was out on Twitter and he said, um, asking, should I use Chef or PowerShell DSC is like asking, should I use Word or the printer driver? So, you know, DSC is lower level. Uh, if you need that functionality and flexibility and you want to build your own tooling on top of it, go for it. Uh, if you don't need that, or if you need something more and you don't have the time to build it, then go out and look at tools like Chef or Puppet. Uh, I like Chef personally a little bit better just because it auto they, they've been really uh, helpful with PowerShell and DSC. Um, they can automatically ingest DSC resources and a bunch of other things in their cookbooks. Uh, so it makes it really low friction to get on board and start using some of that stuff. Um, then, you know, if folks want to play around with this stuff, there's uh, uh, full support for DSC uh, up in Azure. So there's a DSC extension. Again, a great tool for going ahead and plot and uh, applying one-off configurations, like when we very first set up a box, 
maybe you don't want to go ahead and run a PowerShell script, but uh, you're this IT pro who can do things declaratively, great, let's use DSC to do that and, and push those things through where they need to be. So Scott, all that's going to be in the, the show notes that the lovely people can uh, go and download? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, they, they've got to listen to me rant, and then uh, I'm going to make <laughs> you go and type up a transcript at some point. Okay, I mean, I, I could probably do that. It won't happen until November, but yeah. You can type fast. Just don't hurt that's your fingers. True. Well, I'll have to get a you know a clicky keyboard with Cherry MX uh, action going on. Um, you know, speaking of which, uh, Scott, if, if I wanted to go read the show notes for this episode, where would I go? So we publish all the show notes to uh, a wonderful little URL shortening service through Bitly. So everything's at pub.brewery.fm, and this is episode 14, so this would be slash brewery014. Uh, and if you wanted to go back and look at show notes for a past episode, uh, we follow that same exact format. So if you wanted to go look at the show notes for episode 13, that would be pub.brewery.fm slash brewery 013. Uh, pretty easy. Uh, we are also uh, able to be contacted through email if anybody wants to hit us up at info at brewery.fm. Uh, or we have uh, we are at brewery FM on Twitter. And we also have a Facebook page where we go ahead and uh, banter back and forth with uh, folks on that side as well. So uh, definitely multiple ways to get a, get a hold of us and consume the information that we're putting out there. Uh, or if somebody wants to just go to the website and hit an RSS feed, things like that, and subscribe, they can just go to brewery.fm. Um, and that will have a listing of all the shows. They can play them right from there. Uh, again, go ahead and subscribe either through RSS or iTunes. Uh, we would love to have any kind of feedback, uh, whether that's a uh, review or a rating on iTunes. That goes a long way towards uh, helping us along. Huh. That's uh, good Good information to have. Thanks for sharing that. And I guess, you know, one other thing, if, uh, if you are anybody except for Tim Farrow, because I know he has some of these, um, if you've got, uh, you know, a question, a comment, something like that, uh, send us an email and while you're at it, send us your address and we will send you a sticker of a ninja cat unicorn waving the Microsoft flag. Are we shipping internationally? Uh, I might be able to send one out to you, uh, as a special gift. Um, but of course, you know, you'd have to send an email to info at brewery.fm as well. All right. I'll send um, you an email. Okay, Great. Uh, so I think we've got three of those we can give away. So that means two are still unspoken for. So feel free to send us those emails. Um, a couple other things just, uh, before we wrap up, uh, I guess this is pseudo breaking news, uh, about six hours old. Um, apparently Microsoft is planning to replace the technology interface of outlook.com with office 365 later this year. Yes. So, so they had an article on the verge about this, right? Yeah. Uh, so it, it's just kind of the, the, the back end that's driving everything is going to be coming over to that Office 365 uh, kit and, and uh, uh, deployment. And hopefully that brings some richer functionality along with it. That's, uh, that's interesting consolidation, considering that, you know, we had Hotmail, which ran on top of, I believe, some sort of Linux. And then... Uh, that transferred over to 
uh, Microsoft-based platform and kind of croaked for a little while and then got back up and running uh, once they figured out uh, how to do mail hosting. This is probably, what, 12, 15 years ago. Um, but that's that's crazy. They're going to shift it over to Office 365 into that consolidated story. Um, speaking of which, uh, I don't know. Have you uh, – I think I, I mentioned this. The work and play module for Office 365, have you known anybody to actually go out and buy that? I have not. Well, let me tell you. Uh, this past weekend, I actually set up uh, my brother and his wife on Office 365 – Home edition um, through the work and play pack, and it's it's pretty snazzy. Um, one thing that I didn't realize about the home subscription is it's not just one OneDrive for, or it's not just one consumer OneDrive. It's actually up to five consumer OneDrive, so each one of your family members can go in and have uh, a OneDrive account with a terabyte associated with it, which kind of made me scratch my head because I thought they made the paid OneDrives uh, unlimited, but maybe not. Mm, I think you're thinking of paid OneDrive for businesses, right? No, uh, the OneDrive uh, consumer, um, it shows a capacity of one terabyte. So I thought that was slightly odd. And actually in the uh, the documentation that goes along for work and play, it says a one terabyte OneDrive. <laughs> Maybe that's one of those things that catches up over time. Who knows? Yeah, hopefully. Um as long as so, you can upload your 10 gigabyte files, you'll be just fine. Yeah, man. And, you know, I think we, we've talked a lot about Microsoft here for the past hour or so. Um, I wanted to take one last uh, comment about Microsoft. Um, they have, it seems like, the worst luck. Um, <laughs> the uh, You remember how we used to have SkyDrive and a court over in Europe said, hey, Microsoft... Uh, SkyDrive sounds too much like Sky TV. Um, you need to drop it and change over to something else. Um, yesterday, or maybe earlier today, um, <clears throat> yet again, a European court said, hey, uh, you know, the name Skype is just too much like Sky TV. Um, you're going to have to change that. So I don't know what they're going to change, uh, what they're going to change Skype to if they're going to fight that. Um, personally, I, I look at it and that just seems stupid to me because Skype has been around for a very long time. It's not something that's new. It, it seems almost like it's one of these issues where uh, organization sees a large corporation has an asset now and they say, oh, well, now that it's, you know, owned by Microsoft, let's uh, let's make them change it and swing our, uh, swing our clubs at them. Um, but, you know, I think probably five years ago when Skype was still just Skype, um, Sky TV would not have gone after them. Uh, well, so so they did, right? So Sky okay. TV, yeah, they they filed their original complaint back in two thousand and five. Oh. So that's that's six years before Microsoft even bought them, right? Bought them. Uh, so yeah. so it's been on the books for a long time. Uh, as of today, the the kind of court decision that's come out, um, it's not quite like when they had to rename SkyDrive to OneDrive. So the, the current decision doesn't require Microsoft to change any names right now. So they're going to go ahead and appeal that and see what happens because, you know, their, their quote is uh, uh, that we're confident no confusion exists between these brands and services and will appeal. Um, so uh, hopefully they can get in there and, and do that. It would be a uh, 
another pretty big blow if they all of a sudden had to rename Skype, right? Since we just went from uh, the whole link to uh, Skype transition and now link's gone and everything is Skype. Uh, it, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in there, but um, you know, Sky filed this a long, long time ago. Uh, you know, I'm sure Microsoft knew that it was out there. Um, so, you know, they were still confident enough to spend $8 billion on them and, and push those, uh, push that deal through and, and get all that stuff out there. So just another thing to watch in that space, right? Maybe we'll have, yeah. um, you know, super duper chat. chat client. One chat for business. One chat for business. Yes. Uh, Chatnow.com or eh, who, who knows? <laughs> I'm, I'm not a marketer, so you go. don't want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, ooh, that, that was interesting. Did you catch in the keynote uh, when one of the presenters specifically called out and they were talking about Skype for business? And, you know, it's a senior VP at Microsoft. And they said, <laughs> if you're using WebEx or GoToMeeting, uh, you're not very smart. <laughs> And there's a lot of companies that use GoToMeeting and WebEx. So uh, that was kind of a, uh, uh interesting thing for a senior VP to get up there and say. So I will say, uh, as we, as we come full circle on this, uh, the one thing in the Ignite keynote that I almost got up and started cheering about in some regard, um, was with regard to the code security for mobile devices and whatnot. And they, basically said, you know, we're going to keep your devices updated um, by pushing updates this new way. Uh, Google just kind of gives you code and you can do with it as you please. So. <laughs> yeah, it, it was interesting to call out Google like that uh, because it wasn't really clear what they were talking about, right? They were talking about uh, desktops at the time. So sure, you you know, Chromebooks are basically Chrome, so they, they get their updates pushed um, real time and, and live kind of similar to the way Microsoft does it. If they were talking about Android and the way Android updates come out, uh, well, then you'd have to talk about the way updates for Windows Phone come out. And those aren't pretty either, right? Those are still limited by carriers and a bunch of other things. So it was a weird jab to throw out there at the time, um, you know, just in the context of, of desktops and, and everything else, because really the only desktop Google has is um, you, you know, the, the Chromebook stuff or Chrome OS, um, but then you've got Chrome on desktops and that auto updates and Microsoft, you know, for products like SharePoint, they always support the latest and greatest version of Chrome. Um, so I just, just a weird thing for somebody to get up there and say, um, did you have any thoughts on that new, um, update for business process and what's going to go on there? And, the ability to have kind of uh, fast and fast and slow rings for deployment, which to a certain degree we could do in the we could do these things already with um, tooling like WSUS or if you had like a third party deployment server, right? You could deploy groups and uh, have certain updates go out to certain groups at certain times and and things like that. So it seems like they're kind of just changing some of the the verbiage and hopefully updating some of the tooling that goes with that. So I think probably, um, uh, how to put this, I think really, you know, what it comes down to is a lot of folks have uh, their process for WSUS and they say to themselves, how are we going to manage this? Who has the skill set? Uh, is this one of the main things that we, you know, have a full-time individual 
uh, expending their effort on, or are we going to set up a group policy uh, just through Windows Server, you know, through Active Directory and the domain um, to kind of control uh, who gets what uh, bits more immediately? So I, uh, I like it, but the one thing that was somewhat concerning is they talked about the ability to do peer-to-peer -peer updates. And I went, wow, that's really cool. And then I said to myself, wow, that's an awesome attack vector. Um, so if you think about it, unless they're doing like some sort of hash plus certificate check plus who knows what, um, think about like a rootkit traversing through uh, Windows Update for business. Like that would just, to me, that would be really, really, really bad. Um, so I hope that they're doing some sort of secure backend check on those uh, as they do those updates, especially in peer-to-peer -peer networks. It's very, I think it's very cool that you're able to do that, but uh, we'll see. Um, I am excited to see uh, more of that slow ring, fast ring technology. Um, and one thing, uh, we, we didn't mention this probably just because uh, neither of us have actually seen the full video on it yet, but in the same way, they're kind of doing that with Office 365 where you can choose individuals um, within your tenant to actually get first release before everybody else, which I thought was pretty wild. So um, that whole story of updates and different rings and first releases is something that, you know, as IT pros, architects, and developers, we've got to start thinking about as well, um, especially if there are API changes uh, that come out in a ring or in a first release that uh, is ahead of everybody else and the users go, uh, why doesn't your app work anymore? And they realize, oh, it's because they're in that uh, that special group. So, Yeah, I mean, change fatigue is near and dear to my heart. Uh, so they actually, they, they had a session on change management uh, out at Ignite. Uh, they haven't released a video for it yet, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that one coming out. And they, they talked about uh, that Office 365 first release functionality that you mentioned, being able to uh, assign uh, users or groups uh, to let them kind of get those things out there. Um, and then on the peer-to-peer the -peer side of those release things, um, that's been happening with Windows 10, uh, the current preview builds that are out there for that, right? The, the insider builds. Um, and I'd imagine that's going to happen with uh, the tech preview builds that are out there right now for Windows Server as well. So we're up to tech preview 2 has been released. Uh, so all, all that functionality is going to be the same across the enterprise side and the consumer side. Well, regardless, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what the Windows Update for Business is going to do for us uh, in terms of getting updates you know, a little bit quicker to us. No more Patch Tuesdays at least, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you're still going to have Patch Tuesday. You're, you're just going to choose how slow or fast your users get their patches from Patch Tuesday. There we go. Yeah, instead of whatever the statistic was, you know, instead of 858 million servers being patched on Patch Tuesday, it's going to be like, you know, 658 million and the other 200 million will just be on the slow ring. Yeah, which you know, it's fine for large organizations that uh, have a lot of code processes that they need to manage to. So, yeah, it'll be good stuff, Dan. Uh, you want to button this up? Uh, you know, I think we should zip it up. Yeah. Good idea. Let's use uh, one zip to do that.
So I gotta say a couple of things before we run. Um, the Avengers movie. You get a chance to see it yet? I haven't seen it yet. I need to find a babysitter. Okay. Um, I am working on it. It's worth your time. Uh, I walked away from it going. The storyline was a little shaky, but holy smokes, that was amazing. So, um, I don't know if you watched The Blacklist with uh, James Spader. Yep. Yeah, so the way that they made Ultron impersonate James Spader and, like, his facial, like, just uh, the way that he moved his lips, the way that his eyebrows moved, it very much looked like David, uh, not David Spade, yeah, uh, James Spader um, probably was wearing some sort of concoction over his face while he went through the entire uh, voice track for his character who was CGI'd to, uh, to make that into more of him. So uh, if you get a chance, go see it. Um, the end of it, uh, I won't ruin it for you, but you do not need to stay through the second series of credits. There's only something after the initial really pretty awesome credits. Um, if you stay to the very, very end, you will be miffed that uh, there's nothing there waiting for you. Yeah, well, well uh, Joss Whedon came out and said that, right? They said they weren't going to put anything in like they had in past movies. So no, no surprise there. Yeah, so you didn't tell me that, so I unfortunately did not know that. You, you know, you, there's this thing, Dan, it's called the internet. It tells you ah. all about movies ahead of time. So speaking of the internet, um, the one thing that has cracked me up watching the tweets from Ignite and from Build last week, the number of announcements that were not new, that people were just like, oh, oh my gosh, the Active Directory Connect tool is in preview now. And it's like, yeah, it's been in preview for a while. Thanks. Um, yeah, I'm trying to balance uh, some of the things that I'm seeing from people in our networks that are coming out, uh, you know, where, again, there's this sense that, hey, there are these new things. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember that we, we all work in different spaces and we, and we have different specialties and uh, different amount of times, uh, you know, time on our hands and things like that to keep up with the announcements. Uh, to a certain degree, some of it is, yeah, it, it's been around a while. Uh, and some of the other stuff is like, oh, that, 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 that's kind of interesting. Kind of, uh, you know, I forgot about that one. Um, so it, this is Microsoft's opportunity to get out there and push that messaging, right? They, they really don't have any more conferences to do throughout the year anymore. So at WPC. Well, yeah, you're not you're not going to go and learn about <laughs> AD Connect at WPC. I mean, you might when you go down there, but <laughs> the rest of us, yeah. uh, you know, that's that's not going to be what's happening. So, and uh, whoever the poor schmuck is up on stage is going to be like, uh, let me grab the one technical resource we brought with us to talk with you. Yeah, I, I think you need to do that when you're down there for WPC. You you should see if you can land a. Uh, a, t a technical session around um, authentication tokens and <laughs> all the changes in Azure AD and how we can use SAML and JOT tokens and all the other fun things. Translation, I'm going to alienate myself. Got it. Um, the uh, the only last thing that I kind of wanted to you know throw out there and for anybody that's made it through the entire hour and a half so far, um, uh, there's a group over in... Uh, I guess it's a group here in the U.S. Uh, called Charity Water. Um, they're doing uh, 
I guess they're you know they're shipping water like crazy to Nepal. So that earthquake that happened over there is pretty wild, um, just in the sense of the power that was in that and the shifting of uh, you know the mountain ranges and whatnot. Um, I, it breaks my heart to think that you know basic necessities of water and just food and whatnot are not available. So. Uh, if you got a couple extra bucks, head on over to charitywater.org. They've got uh, donation stuff for Nepal. Um, I don't know. I, I figure, you know, it's at least something to be able to do to help. Um, I know getting over there, they were saying that uh, the airstrip, they had to close down because the uh, uh, it, it had so many deliveries on it and it was damaged by the earthquake anyway that they had kind of ceased operations for allowing planes to actually land on it for the moment. Yeah, it it, it is heartbreaking, like you said, and there's all sorts of ways for folks to donate. So they can go through organizations like the Charity Water thing, uh, Apple, every time this happens, uh, or, you know, they typically allow uh, donations uh, through iTunes. Uh, So they've done the same thing again for this. So, you know, if you have an iTunes credit or something like that, um, you know, you've already got the credit. It really doesn't cost you anything. Uh, and you, you want to do a charitable thing, you can go out and do it that way uh, through Facebook, through the Red Cross, uh, you know, really any of these organizations. There's, there's uh, a bunch of different ways to get out there and contribute uh, in some small way if, uh, if folks want to do that. Yeah, so just, uh, uh, just you know, kind of a reality check with all the technology cool stuff that's going on um just that uh, little reminder of oh yeah that water that i just poured into a cup or used to make coffee there's folks around the world that uh, don't have access to that right now so yep yep absolutely that's a good point yeah but anyway not to not to leave on a somber note um I'm uh, I'm stoked about this coming week, this weekend. Uh, it's going to be crazy fun times and C-sharp land for me, um, as well as just catching up on videos from Ignite and Build. So uh, I don't know what else, else you got going on this week. Anything super cool, awesome, besides trying to find babysitters? <clears throat> uh, this week, no. Last weekend, I went to Kangaroo Valley. And what? yeah, so uh, there were... Uh, bunch of uh families so there were there were one two three uh four families so us and uh friends and and all their kids and everything we basically uh ended up renting all the cottages at this uh uh at this kind of campground uh down in kangaroo valley uh so really awesome you can walk out you, you know you wake up in the morning and there are kangaroos right outside your cottage uh, and you can walk around at night and go on wombat hunts. So you just take your flashlight and you just walk right out into the field and, oh, look, there's a wombat. Um, and all sorts of bushwalks and uh, fun things like that. So uh, definitely one of the kind of uh, highlight experiences that we've had so far out here. It's, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it was definitely different than doing something like uh, snorkeling or uh, scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef. Um, but totally, totally as, as, as cool as all those things. Cool. I know you had, uh, you'd sent me a message last week about, uh, willing me something if you didn't make it back. So I, I guess I'm glad that you made it back. Um, yeah, I made it back. So you can't have my Xbox, but dang it. 